Hey everybody, it's Chris Cannon from Zuri Group here with another installment of Nonprofit Notes. And I'm joined by one of my favorite people at Zuri, Molly Kelly. Molly is someone who's been in the business uh, for a number of years and really been a, a leader as someone who can think of great things to do in the, particularly the digital philanthropy space and, and do them, which is one of the reasons I joined Zuri because I can't do any of the really cool technical things that people like Molly can do. So Molly, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the, the folks listening and you know, tell us, you know, how did you get your start? Where what was your what was your first coding experience or things like that? Go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, I'm Molly, uh, Molly Kelly, and uh, great to meet you. I've been with Zuri. It's it's great. I've been with Zuri. I'm the longest standing employee. I've been with Zuri over 12 years. Um, so from the from the beginning. And we're 13 um, years old, so that tells you a lot. Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually moved to Washington to work in politics, um, but quickly found myself working, doing um, technology work in the politics area and uh, creating a zip to congressional district database, which was way back then when that didn't exist and using that stuff for Voting Rights Act cases and doing GIS mapping of that data um, for election analysis. Um, so that's kind of how I learned how to be how to work in databases because I didn't I didn't study computers, but I quickly started to learn on the job and became a programmer. And uh, being in DC, a lot of the work um, was working for nonprofits. So early on, I started, you know, building nonprofit websites and and serving their needs and helping them fundraise and with their data and all the rest. Yeah, the, I, I had forgotten that you and I had a that kind of politics background. I, I was a political science undergrad and grad student, and yeah. I had high hopes uh, of that work. And like so many people do in the you know fundraising advancement nonprofit business, you just sort of start doing it because it exists, and you know there's no real barriers to entry. Is one of the things I think I always liked about it. My first two or three months on the job and, and my first job, I was doing things that I had no business doing, but no one said, oh, well, you know, if you're an accountant, what you do is you do this for three years and then you take your CPA and, you know, and here it was, you know, you, you, in your case, right? You want to create a database, nobody's stopping you. Uh, and there yeah. might not be anybody that's ever even thought of the things you, you thought to do. So, so you yeah. went from kind of technical uh, overall space. And so when did you become more in the, you know, what I consider the the digital e-philanthropy side of things. What what was the trigger into that more focused work? Right. So I was working uh, in consulting and getting nonprofit clients and doing full-on website redesigns. So we quickly got into the UX around conversion and around donor uh, experience and donor journey um, and managing those teams. And then also managing the technology side of that as well. Um, I like to boast about this, but before there was a WordPress, before there was a Drupal, before there was a Joomla, uh, there was no content management system, really. There was kind of a WordPress, but it's just for blogs. And so um, at the firm at, that I was at, we decided we're going to build one. And I designed and built a, a content management system. And it was kind of similar to nowadays to how WordPress works. So I feel like, what happened? I have many of those opportunities, though, that, that we built things that you know, disappeared and faded, but somebody else got the idea and did it better. Um, but anyway, started working in that space and 
and quickly uh, kind of got promoted and moved up and became more of a consultant and a lead of these teams than the actual programmer myself. Um, and so just started working in that area. Eventually I landed at Kintera where I worked with John Murphy and the rest of a lot of others on our team. Sure. Um, spent a little bit of time at Kintera, about a year, um, which really helped me. Um, I actually led a team at Kintera to manage database integrations because there was no other project managers who understood database integration. And so I led that team um, to try to solve some of that stuff. Um, yeah, so I just, you know, kind of uh, grew from there and, and continued to work with nonprofit organizations throughout that entire yeah, career. That I had also forgotten about our Cantera connection. I never worked at Cantera. Almost everybody at Zuri has worked at Cantera or Blackboard, maybe one or two other like really common things. At uh, My Cantera connection is at St. Louis University. We implemented Cantera Sphere for our online community in about 05. Um, and I left in, into the consulting world in about 2006. So I, I don't actually remember, you know, much from back then. It feels like, you know, millennia ago. Uh, but it, it certainly was an application that I, I really liked because the front end tools were easy enough for someone like me to use, right? Like we would, yeah. one of the things I remember being extremely, uh, almost, it was silly in a way to be so proud of this. To your point, like I, I created this way to, to get all of the fees on our online giving through a, a, an Excel macro, right? So our reconciliation every month was really pretty quick because <laughs> it was really easy to download data out of Kintera. That was one of its yeah, you know, was. selling points, I think, back in the day. So um, so we have that in common as well. Now, um, <laughs> when you when you moved to Zuri, you know, what, what did you, what have been some of the sort of differentiating observations about what you've been doing since you joined Zuri from the past? Was it different? Was it kind of the same? Did, you know, what, what did you find when you did those early days, you know, 2008, 2009 projects with Zuri? Well, you know, right away, um, I think my first Zuri clients, yeah, right away, we were doing customizations and coming up with unique solutions on top of platforms, which is very similar to what we do today. Mm -hmm. So thinking ahead, interviewing the client and finding um, like, oh, this system will do this much for us, but we kind of want to do it slightly different or we need this data to go here. So right from the top started working with um, actually our, my, he's still a senior developer for us, um, working with Lasantha and the rest of the team and coming up with really unique solutions to these problems to, to improve the interface, uh, improve conversion, as well as get the data where it needs to go in the right place, in the right, you know, time frame, um, that kind of thing. Sure. Um, yeah. And we did some, you know, lots and lots of different projects back then for America, uh, excuse me, for Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada, um, lots around their events and, and moving data around and customizations, um, as well as, um, Boy, there was, there was a whole bunch of different clients. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of the, the things that's been neat to see for me, I, so I joined um, seven years ago, whenever that was now. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, so you've got a, you got a half a decade on me. And um, the number of clients that, that you've been working with since more or less the year or so you started, I think is a testament to the, the energy you bring to, to projects, the solution 
uh, orientation you bring it, it if, for those of you just listening, I mean, if you've never seen Molly kind of solution on the fly with things, you know, she usually by the end of a conversation is ready to move on and code because she's you know, <laughs> put all these things together. Um, and it's, it's been impressive to see, you know, some of our longstanding clients, um, you know, like a Dana Farber or a group that I know you've, you've had this in and out, you know, help them mightily and then go away for a little bit and come back and help them mightily. Um, it's, I think one of our hallmarks is customization yes. and relationship, you know, over the long haul that, that that's really a testament to a lot of that good work. I think it's, it's an indelible commitment to client service. It's, it's an attitude that says that whatever you need, we're going to do it and we're going to make it right. And we're going to be flexible and we're going to be partners. And that is my number one thing. If it, you know, if you just have that commitment, do what you say you're going to do, follow through always, then um, you're going to feel good at the end of the day. Like you did something great and they're going to be happy as well. And uh, you can eat dinner and watch television and feel good about it. Go. I, I think, you know, you hit on two things that, that I've appreciated here. One is the kind of work-life balance, right? Kind of a work hard, play hard, but one of the things uh, that I'd like to see you do some is, you know, you've taken these like crazy bike ride trips, uh, right? Where you've, you've yeah. pedaled, I don't know, halfway across the world. But I always imagine that somewhere in that backpack, you have a laptop just in case something goes wrong <laughs> and you have to, to dial in. So any funny stories around that where you've, you know, where you've been that kind of balance of do it, doing all the things that you need to do, but. Well. Life. Um, back in the early days, working for American Heart and their Kids Heart, um, Kids Heart Challenge, which it's called now, but it was called something else back then. It was called Jump. Um, we we were moving large amounts of data, as you can imagine, uh, from from well, initially from Sphere, but then eventually from Luminate, moving large amounts of data every three hours to an external database to power their search when you're searching for students in schools, because you couldn't do that straight out of the system. It would break uh, Blackbot. Um, and there was something going on with these servers where our jobs were unable to attach anymore. Nobody on the server farms could figure it out. What's wrong? The Apache setting, this and that. So I set my alarm to get up every two hours and do it manually. <laughs> for about a month <laughs> and in fact I assigned John Murphy he had a he had a, a he had a shift as well so he got he had like the 2 a.m yeah. I had the 4 a.m you know the 6 a.m if um, that isn't the epitome and of we did it service yeah that yeah it sounds a little yeah. like your your rim cycle would have been pretty messed up after that but we had to do um, it we had to just log in the ftp servers and do this these transfers because these servers you know were not uh weren't gonna work otherwise yeah now, i was gonna do it's it it's that you know heart association work I, I have kids that are now nine and eleven and when i started we had created for the jump rope for heart effort these really cute uh, characters and it was, you know, jump, you know, a certain amount of minutes and, you know, raise money and raise awareness. And honestly, my kids to this day still kind of think that I created something uh, through that website. And they ask me all the time, like, is to this day, like, Hey, what are those, what, what are they going to look like this year? What are the awards this year? They, they give oh, wow. me way too much credit uh, for that site existing, but that's really you and some of our other team members that 
yeah. have you know, done really good design work and so forth. I, I wonder, are there any other, you know, sites or experiences that, that really stand out to you as kind of the epitome of, of the work you've done uh, in the combination of technical and in service of philanthropy? Sure. So um, this was early on with those guys. We built a game um, that was this little basketball heart man and he shoots, um, he shoots baskets and scores. So things to engage kids was really important. Um, so just kind of thinking out of the box, like, oh, here's what we could do. For instance, just this year, um, we were working with Mercy Home for Boys and Girls in Chicago. And uh, of course, with COVID, they couldn't have their traditional tree lighting event that they have every year for the kids. Um, they were going to have to do this virtually. Uh, so what we did was I was like, well, why don't we have a Christmas tree light up? Um, we can do that. We can sure. we can have a, a light shine for every donation as they come in. And we can have then if you hover over that light, you'll see the person's name who lit the tree. And so we we built this really great um, HTML5 CSS uh, donor role, which is a tree lighting. And so that everyone participating that night could actually light the tree. So just thinking of, of new and creative things like that is always fun um, as it crosses over the digital uh, into the digital space. Yeah. Right now, though, you know, the hottest stuff that I'm like having so much excitement over is, you know, you can call it, nobody calls this AI because people always think of AI as the really complicated stuff, but um, just using data is AI, you know, having, knowing, using the data and knowing, having the tools to be able to say that if Chris Cannon comes back to my donation form, I can uh, serve Chris Cannon a image of a sloth because I happen to know Chris Cannon loves sloths because he donated on a form in the past that had a picture of a sloth on it. And so we're working with some clients right now in devising solutions using some really cool tools around conditional content um, and omni-channel um, omni-channel efforts that are going to continue messaging, let's say, from Facebook to the donation form to the thank you page that's going to drive me to an action that's related to an action and maybe an advocacy action that I know Chris is going to be interested in because I know Chris lives in St. Louis. So um, using data, the tools are quickly getting there and now it makes it so much easier to use data to actually really inform these um, digital experiences. Yeah, sure. Kind of reminds me, you know, AI is an interesting topic, right? Because on the one hand, you could be IBM Watson level, you know, uber computer, super genius, and you could just be smart enough to use, you know, almost like the choose your own adventure, ABC, you know, you don't need that many variations on a theme to personalize it enough to make it feel special. It reminds me, some of what you just said reminds me of like those Cosmo quizzes where they're kind of fun to take and you don't need a, a whole lot of, you know, sort of uh, super science to make those things happen. Um, are there other trends or, you know, paths that you see our clients taking right now that you think everybody should be uh, aware of and, and working on themselves? Yeah. So everybody, um, it's crazy. We've been talking about it for a really long time is accessibility. But finally, I am seeing that clients are finally, or organizations are finally taking it seriously. Yeah. 
Mm -hmm. um, accessibility is real and everybody's really starting to be like, oh, but we don't really have to do it. Everybody's doing it now and, and it's great. And, uh, you know, getting to that, those levels of accessibility. And then of course the privacy things, sure, there's the new law in California. Um, oh, it doesn't really affect us, but you know what? It's going to, and it does. And so finding uh, easy to implement solutions for um, the right to be forgotten and um, different uh, ways like that to, to comply with those, um, not just comply, but to, uh, you know, excel at accessibility, I think is um, where organizations are going. Certainly, you know, Chris, we had that event two years ago in New York and um, we talked about mobile wallet. And I think everybody in the room kind of said, yeah, we get like four of them a year. We, we put it on the thing. It really wasn't worth the effort. Um, it's worth the effort now. Um, sure. And the effort is less than it used to be with uh, payment gateways like Stripe making it super easy, um, things like that. So now everybody is like, that's a no brainer. Um, not like a, hey, we could be cutting edge. Instead, it's uh, if we don't have it, we're in the we're living in the past. Um, from that's where we are now with mobile wallets. Um, and then you know my pet thing that I keep saying, but I haven't really seen it tick up yet. But I'm still like it's still the cutting edge thing. But I think shortly it won't be, and that's voice, because. Um, Personally, that's the whole reason I didn't cut the cut the cord and I still have my Comcast is that I love just talking into my remote. Um, and so as that grows more into our digital interfaces and how we interact with nonprofits and how we interact with um, websites and everything, we're, yeah. you know, I think we're going to need to be there. Yeah, that voice piece, you know, Ken Swift and our team spent a little bit of time getting up. Um, something that attaches Alexa to some of the things he's been doing. Um, and the, the, I, I totally agree. I think what's interesting about, about, you know, sort of natural language search and, you know, those kind of Alexa or, or Siri style devices is how forgiving we are in our consumer life and how demanding we are in our, our work life. Right. So uh, Alexa misunderstands me so much. I, you know, I will turn off Alexa for a day or two. I'm just irritated. You know, why are you giving me this song? I asked for that song. Um, but if if you have a natural language uh, voice uh, activated search on, say, your database of record and say, hey, find me all the donors of $200 or more last year, it'll give you that. I, you know, we've seen that function. But then it's, well, what I really, I didn't want soft credit or I did want pledges. I didn't want, uh, you know, donor advised funds included in here. And we, and I find that, that some of that coolness that you're talking about, we just don't allow it in our space because we're, we're too specific or we're too, uh, uh, we're, we're too, we get too upset about incorrect information that is basically, we're just not quite there yet. So I, I, I agree. It's intriguing um, when I see, you know, people out in the, you know, field officers, wanting to use speech to text to you know record their visit with the johnsons and have it go to their database that's there i mean you can do that but it's it's well but is it accurate enough and do i have to edit it anyhow and there's a little bit of nitpickiness to to some of that mm -hmm. i wonder if you're you know in with covid and and over these last crazy 11 months that any other things that you think that you've you've picked up and learned that you think we're going to continue to apply or things you hope we never have to do again, minus, you know, quarantining and staying at home, I'm sure is on both of our lists, but 
What, what other observations have you made lately? Well, you know, 2020 was the year that I went from working home alone to working home with everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually love it. <laughs> um, you know, I've been working from home alone for, you know, 12, 13 years. And so having everybody else at home, I don't know. I, I feel like camaraderie with everybody now. They get me. Um, so I would rather, I love that. So what I don't want to come back is having to like take a shower again. No, I just mean like, <laughs> you know, having to, um, people have kind of dropped that formality a little bit. And yeah. I think it's actually beneficial. I think that we're working um, at least from an org to me, because I've been working remote and serving clients forever when there was always this like formal, a little bit of a formalness to it. And now we're just letting each other into our lives because we've let people into our homes. And by doing yeah. that, it, we're, I feel, I, I don't know, I feel like we're closer um, and we work more in partnership and we communicate almost better. Yeah. Now, I know you used to travel a lot, but this is for me as an, a remote person who has always connected with my clients remotely 99% I, of the time. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, I sometimes think of it as giving people, uh, you know, more kind of grace or benefit of the doubt and, and sort of skipping over those extra things that might make people, you know, maybe more uptight to visit or, or what have you. And I, I think that Missouri has done a, a really good job. We've always been a remote-ish company. We have an office and Ben with some people that go there all the time. But mm -hmm. the, the, the purpose of that approach has historically been that productivity doesn't require presence, right? You don't have to go to that place to, to be productive all the time. And this has just proven that out, you know, it, ad nauseum almost that you can do great work from almost anywhere. And so I think part of our upcoming consideration will be, you know, when when is it better to be in person or is it just a little bit in person? Um, so I, I do wonder, you know, what'll happen with some, for sure. Some of our clients, you know, again, you've had the same client set for a decade or more in, in many cases and added to that. Um, and I'm in a similar boat, almost everybody that we're working with now I've met in person, maybe a dozen times at conferences, et cetera. So one of the weird things will be, is it still the same in a couple of years? And can you expand your relationships? And I think that applies to donors a bit as well, right? Like you acquire donors due to their interaction with your institution's mission. And if there's no you know, in-person interaction, it can have a, a, a weird effect um, for sure. So what are- um, I, think, uh, I think we're kinder to each other yeah. because we see everybody's humanity more because we see into their homes, we see into their kids, you know, show up there, yeah, you know, things, yeah. things happen, right. And um, their pets, and it just makes some, you know, tensions can flare in business when we're all under a deadline, and we're struggling, and who can we blame for this or that, but I feel like um, it's, it's made us all kinder to each other. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that thought. And I think that it's one of the things I've always enjoyed working with you is just the, again, the energy you bring and the, the thoughtfulness and the thoroughness. Uh, if you've never seen Molly work project, it, it's impressive uh, and has done, you know, great, had great impact on all of our clients. So how would, if, if someone wanted to get a hold of you and talk about digital projects, what's the best way to get a hold of you? 
just call me. No, uh, just email me at Molly at Zuri Group. But I was just going to say, what I appreciate about you, Chris, is how good you are at talking about what you appreciate about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, That's what I appreciate the most. <laughs> excellent. That, that's good to know. Um, yeah, just email me at Molly at Zuri Group, and I will answer. I, will, I always answer. Um, <laughs> For sure. Like I said, that's my, my number one goal is to respond. Yep. I, I appreciate that. And, and uh, <laughs> therefore, I think if anybody would like to talk further about this topic, let us know. If there are other topics yeah. you want to dive into, if you want to learn more, I, many folks know, I, you know I, I'm not the best person to interview Molly in some ways because I don't really understand all the awesome technology stuff she can do. So if you ever want to talk shop, uh, let us know. Or if you want to have an interview, a podcast arrangement yourself, we'd be happy to talk with you. So this has been the Nonprofit Notes for the day. Thanks, Molly, for joining me. I appreciate it. I look forward to talking to you all soon. Thanks, Chris.